I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Alrighty, you're welcome along to this week's Huddle Breakdown, episode 5 of season 3. And we're looking back at Celtics win away to Ross County. 3-1 in Dingwall. Kyogo Furuhashi, uh, Morris Jens and Abada with the three goals for Celtic to give them two wins from two in the new season. Alan Morrison, Celtic by Numbers, is with me as is Juco James as we look back on the game that nobody saw because the SPFL don't know how to market their own game. The stream dropped out for everybody who is watching either legally on Selfie TV or maybe not so legally elsewhere, but we're going to be looking back at this game regardless. Similar sort of format to last week in terms of we're going to be looking at the good stuff, maybe not the great stuff, and some of the things that we need to look on, uh, look at for the games to come. Kilmarnock coming up this Sunday. Alan, we'll start with the good in this, and I'm... Inclined to start with Morris Jens and his debut goal for Celtic, but you can't ignore the three goals and who was involved in all three goals, and that is Celtic's new-ish man, as I like to call him this season, and that is Jota. Three assists for the Portuguese in this game. And again, we're talking about a player here who I mentioned last week in the sense of when things aren't going maybe to plan per se, he has that little bit of spark in him. And that's why Celtic signed Shota this season, because he has the ability to create something out of nothing. And that's what he did a couple of times in this game. Yeah. He's actually a player whose averages aren't are good, right? Don't get me wrong, they're very good, but not necessarily spectacular. But it's just the sheer volume uh, that he puts into the game in terms of the amount of chances he creates, the number of take-ons he attempts, the number of shots, the number of crosses, etc. Um, he, he's... He's what you want in a modern winger in that he's pretty fearless. Uh, and I, you'd say brave on the ball, I would say, in terms of you know taking people on, not, not getting discouraged by how the game's going, how the opponents are treating him. You know, you could easily have looked at how Greg Taylor was getting smashed by that Randall right back every time he went near the ball and sort of thought, I'm not having any of that. But actually, he wandered over to that side and said, yeah, go on then, I'll have a go. Um, and and, and he's, that's his attitude. I think that attitude is, is something which coaches absolutely love they absolutely adore but you've got to be able to produce and you know he had a good day I mean he didn't have a uniformly good day it was actually uh, partly down to him that Celtic 
had that really sloppy piece of possession that led to the corner that we conceded the goal from. That was a lot of that was on on him, um, but he did he did create six chances. Uh, he did put four balls into the danger zone. You know, six of those chances ended up being um, assists. And so you know he did, and he also had a uh, you know he did end up with the the best, not no, actually second best packing score. That again, that would have been O'Reilly, but he'd end up end up with the best sort of expected scoring contribution and sort of attacking threat score in the game. So deserved, deserved uh, sort of man of the match for sure. Um, you know, because and, and if I was a BBC reporter, you know, I would be saying he dug us out of a hole there. <laughs> <laughs> it was a one-sided affair. Ross County were clearly the better team in this three-one victory for Celtic. Yeah, they were plucky and brave, and uh, you know, <laughs> Celtic laboured. <laughs> yeah, they, they pulled it out of nowhere. So did Celtic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, James, look, you, you've written about Jota a couple of times. We've had a discussion about Jota a couple of times last season, whether or not he is quote unquote. And, quote-unquote, an Ange player, a system player, whatever. But I kind of think that he's a player that, regardless of what system you're playing, he is a player for that system because he's just so creative in uh, the final third of the, the game that he, you can always give him a free ticket from the pressing, which he is actually quite good at. But he is a player that Celtic have bought for his creativity. Yeah, domestically, there's no question. I mean, he's he's a man amongst boys, so to speak, in that regard. Um, and against, you know, this th- that level of competition, um, you know, he un- understandably and expectedly dominates. Uh, so there, there's value in that, obviously. I mean, um, to, to 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 perform as you should when you should is hugely valuable. So um, I'd be concerned if Jota wasn't dominating against. Ross County. That would be the concerning part. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, and, and as we've talked about, the, we knew what we were getting to a large degree. And the upside is that he can improve in some of the areas where he's maybe not as um, tailor-made for for the style of play under Ange. But, yeah, I mean, the attacking part and the creative part has never been the issue. It's more so, you know, uh, his role in in the coordinated pressing, the transitions, which again, I'm like a broken record every week and it's going to remain that way until we get to September is, you know, until we face uh, European level competition, those issues really aren't all that big of a deal because for the most part, the domestic comp- uh, opposition, you know, doesn't present um, those kind of challenges. So yeah, I mean, he basically has free reign in this kind of game to go berserk and he, and he did, which is fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very fun to watch. Well, if we could, or 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 watch the replays, I should say. Well, that's it. Or watch his little boogie after the first goal. I thought I was going crazy. I wasn't sure if that actually happened because I was watching it on live on stream. But then I was I was glad to see somebody else saw it and managed to clip it. So if you haven't seen that, go and search for that on Twitter. It's uh, well worth the watch. Marco is coming in with an early comment, uh, which I do think we will cover in this podcast. Should teams come at Celtic? Fulham went after Liverpool and really outplayed them. And then I know the guys over at 20 Minute Tims had a conversation about this with, you know, using Brighton against Man United as the proxy for the conversation. We will maybe touch on Ross County's style of play and if it's the most effective way to play against Celtic maybe later on. But just sticking with Jota, um, Alan, one of the conversations that I suspect will come up over the course of the season if Jota doesn't have his best game is, is he best played on the right or on the left? Because... What we're seeing at the minute is Maeda and Jota, you know, Jota starting on the right, but 
focusing. He's coming over to the left. The first goal came from him coming in from the left. And um, I suspect that will be a conversation that we have. Is it more complicated than that? Because, I mean, yeah, sure. You know, naturally you think a winger who is right-footed cutting in on his left side or on, from the left-hand side onto his right will be more effective that way. But maybe keeping the opposition on his toes by not having a designated position might be the smarter option here for Jota. Yeah, for sure. So just before I get into that, just something that's caught my eye that's really amused me is um, on Statsbomb, right, they, they have a little feature when you go into a player profile, they list similar players um, and uh, they have a percentage of similarity between them. So for Jota, the most similar player is Kingsley Coleman, Bayern Munich, which is, is nice. Second is Tom Rogic. Third is Kevin De Bruyne. <laughs> But it goes on. Fourth is Barry Mackay. <laughs> uh, fifth is Joe Cancelo of uh, Man City. And then sixth is James Tavernier. Um, what is really funny, even more funny, is that there's two James Taverniers on the list, which maybe it's one for each Rangers. I don't know. <laughs> That's got, that kind of amused me anyway. Um, anyway, so going back to your question about, you know, Jota, left wing, right wing. So, there is a really good article uh, which was on for about a thousand words on Celtic Way about this very topic today. So have a look at that. It's really good. But the sort of um, cut down version then for the benefit of our wonderful listeners is that. So I did a study where I just basically if you look at Jota's career, he's broadly played about 75 percent of his minutes on the left and 25 percent on the right. Now, it's not a, this isn't a very um, scientifically pure piece of analysis because I don't, for example, say here are all your stats for the 10 minutes you played on the right and here are all your stats for the 80 minutes you played on the left because I just don't have the time or the bandwidth to do that. And no other site, as far as I'm aware, does that either. So these are broad strokes. You've got to take that into consideration. Um so the um, if you look at him on the left, actually, uh, what you find is that well, so first of all, if you look at it, it's just pure output, right? So goals and assists, you, it's actually not much of a competition, um, really. Uh, he, he scores, um, I think, his he scored his xG on um, from the left is 0.38, and his xG on the right is 0.25, so quite a big difference. And his expected assists on the left is 0.53, and on the right is 0.44. Um, of over overall, um, but actually, if you know, if you if you look at all, all his other metrics, uh, it's actually quite um, it's actually a little bit interesting when you break it down by position. Essentially, when he comes off the left, it's kind of what you'd expect from a guy who's right-footed playing on the left, in that his his expected goals uh, goes up quite a bit because um, he, he gets more shots away. He gets more shots away than he does on the right because he's cutting in onto a stronger foot. Similarly. Uh, when he's uh, going past a player, especially if he's going on the outside, he's going on his left foot, which is pretty more two-footed than the vast majority of players, but clearly his left side is his weak, slightly weaker side. So the quality of the crosses or the passes he's putting in from that left side are, uh, are not going to be are not going to be as high. Then if you look at him off the right-hand side, uh, his XG goes down quite a bit. But then on the other hand, his, his expected assist goes up quite a bit because, again, he's coming, he's going past players on a stronger right-hand side, putting in better crosses. And actually he gets, I think, three three uh, passes into the danger zone per game on the right side, but only 1.7 on the left side. Um, he creates three and a half chances per 90 minutes from the right compared to 2.1 from the left. And so his expected assist is actually nearly double 
uh, on from the right, 0.63, than it is from the left, 0.34. Uh, similarly, uh, and, and perhaps a little bit surprisingly, uh, but again, we can explain that through logic, is that his defensive action success rate is is 30% on the right and 25% on the left. Left, and That's because if he's generally playing up against left-footed players on the right, it's much easier for him to block block their actions than it is the wrong way on the other, on the other side. So actually, if you look at it, um, if you add up his expected assists and expected goals on each side, to, to give you his expected scoring contribution. From the left, his expected scoring contribution is 0.79, which is pretty good. But on the right, it's actually 0.97. So there is a case to be made for saying he's actually more effective from the right. But it depends what you want. If you want assist Jota, play him on the right. If you want goal threat Jota, play him on the left, which makes perfect sense when you think about the role of a winger and the fact that he's right-footed. And if you invert him, he's going to have these strengths. If he's playing on his natural side, he's going to have different strengths. So... Um, it all makes perfect sense, but probably surprises a few people because I think there seems to be this instinctive um, opinion that he's just better from the left. And actually, the data doesn't support that at all. Yeah. And I think there's sort of uh, in modern football, especially with the way that analysis has gone, is there, there seems to be this idea that if you automatically play a player in a position that you think is his strongest position, then automatically he will play better. But that doesn't really work that way because you need 11 players playing exactly how they should exactly on the day without taking into account that maybe they just might not have a good game uh, depending on what's going on in the world or what how well their marker plays against them or whatever. It's, it's, it's a complicated business. So for me, it's not as easy to just say, okay, you play Jota on the right because the data backs up that you know 90% or I can't remember the exact number uh, his scoring contribution is better on the right because if he plays on the right against a better defender or if he plays on the right and he has a bad game, then, you know, that can go down and you can change the data over to say, okay, well, he's actually better off the left. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, yeah, and, and I, I agree I agree with that. And as I say, the, the, this wasn't perfect and the amount of data mm -hmm. from him playing on the right was more than 10 games worth, but still quite a small sample. But the, the you know, his, his point is he's pretty productive on either side. And the good news for Celtic is that really you can play him on either side. And if it's not working on one side, perfectly adequate to switch him over to the other side. And the probability is he'll be, he'll be, he'll be very productive on, on one or the other, at least. So no no issue, um, but just just interesting that the, the, the perception, as I say, might be a little bit different from what the data is telling us. Yeah. Shall we talk about Morris Jens? Uh, the defender came in for his debut, his league debut for Celtic, uh, because Stephen Welsh had picked up either a knock or a virus or something during the weekend. It was a virus, I believe, yeah. Virus, yeah. So he wasn't fully uh, fully fit for this game or fully ready. So Marsh Jans came in for his league de debut for Celtic. Pretty solid from what I've seen before the game, obviously uh, collapsed on TV. Um, got his goal, very strong header from a towering centre-back. Nice to see that once again in a Celtic shirt, something that we've been sort of missing over the last couple of years. Uh, James, your thoughts on Jans and how he performed? I know... Again, we're talking about Ross County here, who didn't exactly come out all guns blazing against Celtic, but in terms of his general contribution to even the attacking play from Celtic. Yeah, I, I, I think he's been fine. Um, I think he's... It, it's, it's such a lazy... Um, and I'm going to do it, so I'm not accusing anyone else of doing the same, yeah. same thing. Uh, we're all about it, lazy analysis here. Yeah, it's a lazy comparison to compare him to Julian for for the multitude of reasons, but there, there are some significant 
parallels um, in the sense that his appetite for range of passing seems to be fairly robust, meaning that he's willing to take risks. He's willing to try, you know, kind of long switched balls and some of these, um, you know, more aggressive uh, uh, passing. So that's very different than Starfelt. Starfelt, for the most part, is very safe you know, um, and efficient in that way. I mean, he, he, he's, he does not give the ball away. Um, Jens seems to be uh, quite aggressive, but not really great at it over, over a long sample that I've looked at. Um, so there's going to be some volatility to that sometimes, you know, so what I'm getting at is it kind of lends itself to confirmation bias, right? When they come off people that, um, you know, are positively disposed towards them are going to say, look, you know, point that one out and say, look, he's great at it. And then when he doesn't, you know, when it doesn't come off, um, the people that are uh, predisposed against them are going to kind of um, uh, refer to that. Uh, so, you know, again, this is not the kind of game that's going to dramatically stress our center backs. Uh, he was fine on the ball. Um you know, he, as we talked about when we signed him, he brings an element in attack and set pieces that we haven't had uh, or we didn't have last season. Uh, and he certainly showed that in, in the goal that he scored, um, which I think is a positive, you know, meaning that he has a specific uh, thing that he's, that he's quite good at that um, can be helpful and, and add a dimension that we don't um, currently have. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't see him as, the one that's going to kind of bring this ball playing center back dimension uh, to, to Celtic. Um, but I, you know, I think he's, he, he looks like he's functional in the same level that Starfelt and, and CCV are in, in mm -hmm. playing that kind of not ball playing center half um, role at, at a European level. So that depth is good. Um, I'll be curious to see whether or not if he's fit, Welsh kind of steps back in or, you know, what the dynamics are relative to Starfelt resuming his, his starting place. Uh, that, that competition and depth is good. Um, but as we've talked about recently, so far, the only one that looks like even theoretically they have the potential to be that ball playing center back would be, would be Welsh. Um, you know, admitting that he's not the ideal one given his right footedness and, you know, he still needs to improve, but he's of an age that that plausibly can still happen. Um, so, you know, mostly good, but again, not not the game that we're going to get stress tested for his role. You know, they didn't really push us on playing the high line that much. Their transitions weren't very good. Now, again, we imposed a lot of that. Um, but, you know, from what I saw, again, I, I, I didn't see all of the game. Um, but the, 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 the parts that I did see, they, they didn't, uh, they didn't stress test us in that regard. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't want to go in too deep into this conversation because I'm going off Wikipedia stats, but, but according to Wikipedia, he is, uh, 1.9 meters, which translates to, uh, six foot two, which would make him uh, considerably our, our biggest center back. And he looks at it in the pitch as well. Like the, the Julian, Comparison is sort of lazy, but I honestly, genuinely thought I was watching Julian at times because he looks like Julian on the pitch with the, just the stature and his build and the way he carries himself. It's very similar to, to, to Julian. Well, I mean, I did, and I'm glad James called me lazy because I did a piece that actually showed his stats playing for um, Lorient um, and Julian's stats playing for Toulouse were almost identical. <laughs> they were almost identical. You know, they, they both played in the team that finished 15th or 16th in Liga. 
and nearly got relegated and almost had identical number of points, identical goal difference, and their and their performance data was almost identical as well. It was which, which was that kind lazy of, works, Alan. That's how so, I've yeah. lived my life. <laughs> but no, that's my well, wife. Yeah, so I just reported that. I, I, you know, I don't want to compare him to Julian because. He's, he's a much younger player, but I, I, and, I, and I hope he's a bit quicker. But I was kind of actually encouraged the fact that you know Julian turned out to be uh, a lot more composed on the ball than I had gathered from his equivalent stats at the time, and therefore I was hoping that the thirty minutes against Norwich and then those those that, those data points would suggest he you know he would be. You know, listen, he gave the ball away quite a lot, as James said. I thought it was a mixed performance. I'll be honest, right? Um, there was clearly some good in there. There was some nice nice passing. You know, he, 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 I think he was 87% past completion. I know, I know that sounds a lot, but actually, it's actually really low for a centre-back. So Carter Vickers would be 97%, uh, for example. You know, he, he lost a couple of headed duels. Now, listen, the wind, actually, unusually for a professional football match, the wind had a massive impact on that game. You saw it in the first half when any sort of clearance meant Celtic were having to retrieve the ball from the opposite stand and start with Joe Hart. He just, just had to get anything on the ball and just flew to the other end of the pitch. And then, of course, you just, the number of pass, any any air on the ball forward and the ball was just going all over the place. So it was just a very difficult game to judge people in that respect. Um, his goal was clearly nice, wind-assisted, bulleted into the corner, into the uh, into the top of the net. But, you know, he, 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 uh, he made a couple of bad mistakes. He lost his lost his player for the goal as well. So it was kind of a mixed performance. And like James, I'm fascinated to know at Kilmarnock whether Welsh gets back in or Starfell or Jens keeps his place. My money, for what it's worth, um, is that, you know, Postacoglu providing the player in, in, in possession of the shirt hasn't, you know, embarrassed themselves. Uh, he, he's got the shirt until he loses it, would be my reading, but I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, we shall wait and see on, on that front. I mean, the issue is that our centre-backs aren't really being tested in these games too much, so it's hard to really tell, um, bar the processional play, how these... Well, how these yes and no. I mean, we, we're, there's, there's not being tested and still you know, being at fault for a goal in a couple of dodgy areas, and mm-hmm. there's not being tested and being absolutely immaculate, like Carter Vickers, who was just, like, immaculate. You know, he just, you know, and that was one of the pluses for me, was quietly and efficiently he's just really really effective and he doesn't make a big fuss about it he just gets on with yeah. it uh, and I, I don't think people realize how effective he is yeah i'm going to be really annoying and say that um it was his first game so we'll, we'll just give the boy a little of course, bit of time of to see yeah, 10 exactly. game another nine games yeah <laughs> um one last thing to finish up on before we move on to what could have improved in this game the substitution situation is quite interesting with Celtic, given the staffness of the squad at the minute, even though there are potentially a couple of names to come in, as we'll touch on before we finish up on the pod. But uh, Lee Labada is someone that hasn't uh, been in the starting lineup uh, so much this this season, even though we're two games in, but, you know, pre-season included. Um, but he came on and he scored an amazing goal in this game. And interesting to get your thoughts on him and where he stands in the team this year because, you know, there is that age-old argument of, okay, a guy is coming off the bench, he's been really effective here, he deserves to start. But then another way to look at that is that this guy's really effective off the bench. Maybe we should keep him off the, on the bench and take him on when the opposition are a little bit tired. So, James, I'll throw that question to you. Lila Bada, is he a starter or is he a guy who comes on to maybe – tear the life out of an already beaten or tired opposition? 
I think there's um, ample room for him to do both. And I, I think that um, relative to a lot of domestic opposition, I'm actually gravitating towards the idea of him starting over Maeda, let's say. Um, and then in Europe, I would say I would probably flip that. And I actually, so I, I just wrote a piece on him. Um, so I, um, this is all fresh of mind. I just finished doing all the analysis uh, Monday and, and Tuesday. And so I think Abada is a wonderfully complicated player from an analytics perspective. And I think that he his sort of profile lends itself to some of the more, um, uh, let's say, the newer models uh, that that offer some insight into methodology to balance out. Because he has he does a lot of things uh, well, he does a couple of things really well, and then he's actually quite bad in ways that you would normally view as being severely detrimental to a winger playing at Celtic. So let me, let me talk about this. So he gives the ball away at a pretty high rate relative to how often he passes, for example. So his turnover rate, let's say, you know, so when he, when he tries stuff, you know, there's at a pretty high rate, it doesn't work. But when he does, when it does work, it's actually really good. So it, it, it's, it's, he's very good at creating chances when, he, when it does come off. They tend to be extremely good chances for his teammates. Um, he's not great at beating opposition players one-on-one -on -one and dribbling, right? You would think a Celtic winger would be really good at bypassing opposition fullbacks, that kind of thing. Um, you know, so it's those kind of things where he kind of stacks up. He gets dispossessed quite a bit. You know, even when he's carrying the ball. Um, so, again, very different than what J Jota is. Jota is kind of really good at all of those things, whereas Abada's got a lot more unevenness to how he performs. But if you kind of net all this stuff out, it, it's, it's, he, he doesn't quite get to the level of Jota, but um, his, his, his attacking and you know we've talked about this endlessly alan and i about how good he is in the box and he's kind of got that that instinct of getting in position almost like that striker's instinct inside 12 yards uh and his finishing at times has been quite good so i, I think when you kind of net all this out it, it kind of like what i said with jens it, it's easy to fall into confirmation bias with him because there's going to be a lot of things he does that's ugly right you know he's going to make some just stunningly bad decisions at times and really bad um, passes where it seems, you know, almost like, you know, what were you thinking? How could you try that? Or that kind of thing. Um, and, and then on the flip side of that, he's so brilliant, like on that finish on, on the weekend that, you know, it, it's easy to kind of have the bias towards him. So this is where I think some of the, the, the new metrics that are out to help balance this out. I think it firmly balances out positive for him. And I mm -hmm. think that the profile of that lends itself domestically in particular. I think that the positives get less positive <laughs> when we go up against higher level opposition. And Maeda is almost the flip of that, meaning that where Maeda really adds value is in <clears throat> counter pressing, pressing, um, you know, uh, so, some of his runs and finishing. And when we're facing these kind of compressed mid blocks, the low blocks, I think a lot of his value kind of gets diluted in those kind of games um, because we're just not doing that much of that. Uh, there's just not that much for him to do. And, you know, he's not great on the ball as far as creativity or uh, beating men one-on-one. -on -one. 
Um, he's got a lot of the same deficiencies as Abada in that regard without some of the similar upside that, that Abada brings. Um, so that's kind of how I've come around to it. I, I uh, threw my hands up in my article. I was one of the early uh, skeptics on Abada. And, and uh, I think that that's part of building a robust analytical process is to try and to, you know, check your own biases. Um, and, and I think, you know, some of these new tools that I've been, you know, diving into over the last year have helped me kind of come around, get my head around, okay, my own biases are gravitating towards all the stuff he's been doing wrong uh, and not properly weighting the value that he's adding um, when, when he does do things right. And he, they're to be spectacular when he does them. What's funny about this is uh, the age-old perception conversation that we talk about because if you close your eyes and I listen to what you were saying there, um, I almost would have thought you were talking about James Forrest, except Celtic fans have had 12 years of James Forrest and the bad things that he does. And I don't think a lot of people give James Forrest credit for all the good things that he has done as well. So it'll be interesting to see now, if Celtic managed to hold on to Abada for the next three, four years, which is, you know, maybe unlikely, if people still have the same perception as they do now, because I think he still sort of gets away with, you know, he's a young developing player, so people are more willing to give him a little bit more slack for losing the ball. Um, but I think, again, when he's scoring goals like he did at the weekend, it becomes much easier to do that. Well, losing the ball, this is getting kind of the asymmetry, right? So in, in a traditional statistical, you know, counting stats perspective, you know, you look at cross rate, you know, his crossing rate's really not very good uh, compared to other players, for example, like Jota or, you know, even Greg Taylor, um, Juranovic, those kind of guys historically. And again, depending on the sample size, um, but when they come off, he's, he's putting in such good balls that, um, you know, it, it, it's looking at the value, uh, the leverage, let's say, of those individual deliveries, right? So it's those raw counting stats that can be um, deceptive for players like Abada, I think, um, because when it does come off, it's so good. So it's not like this linear relationship across players. Mm -hmm. uh, Ralston's been like that, too. So Ralston, in many regards, has been incredibly effective when it comes off, um, even though his kind of hit rate, shall we say, isn't isn't uh, as as high as it could be. Oh, and you wanted to come in on that, did you? Oh, just a few things. I mean, uh, I, 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 I find Abada to be um, a bit of an enigma for people. Uh, his underlying data is actually quite spectacular. <laughs> okay. Now, James is alluding to probably some stats bomb, especially the OBV stats, which I'm still trying to wrestle my head around how they actually work them out. And, and, and therefore, I'm not going to sort of poo-poo that. But looking at more sort of traditional advanced stats, um, his, his expected scoring contribution is actually just a little bit higher than a, than Jota's. For last, I'm talking about last season, Okay. I mean, which is, uh, he gives the ball away in the final third less than Jota, O'Reilly, and Rogic, okay? Now, again, you might argue, well, that he's not got the ball as much. They're, they're all players that probably get possession a little bit more. That, that's fair enough. Even on crossing, I mean, Jota's an outlier, right? I mean, Jota's way ahead of anyone else in the squad for cross success, okay? Um, but, you know, Abada's would be about the same as Juranovic, but less than Rolston and O'Reilly. So, yeah, he's not 
fantastic crossing, but he's, he's probably he's probably about fourth or fifth best in the squad. So I think there's an awful lot, and he's you know he's a young. We keep saying he's a young kid, so I think there's an awful lot more to come from him. Um, if he was starting, I'd be happy with that. If he's coming off the bench, I'd be happy with that. So I don't, I don't have any issue either way. But I do, I do think he's a lot. His his performance data is a lot stronger than the perception he seems to leave people with. And I think James has I think done a good job of probably explaining why some of that happens. Yeah. So I mean, again. Like I said, he's a young player, so I'm more than willing to give him ample opportunity to, to improve. And he's on a very high trajectory at the minute. So, I mean, if he starts, if he doesn't start, I think he's going to make an impact on Celtic's season, as many of Celtic's players off the bench have done. Like we've spoken about with the Matt O'Reilly quotes from a couple of weeks ago, it's not so much people are on the bench, it's that people are fighting for their starting position and hoping that you know they can they can push on and get into the starting eleven, and we do want to talk about Alex Colado because he's going to be a player that potentially could be in the hoops this season. And I think it's a, a sort of a link that has come out of nowhere, the Barcelona youngster. But we'll talk about him and near the end, just before we finish up with the Ross County game, the conversation that was mentioned in the comments about the way that Ross County played against Celtic. And this is a conversation I think the guys over at 20 Minute Tim's had on their podcast as well. And that was about the way that teams set up against Celtic and whether or not it's the best way to do so. I mean, I'm sort of struck with this. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how I fully feel about it because the wage gap disparity and the structure dis- disparity of the two, the clubs, like if you compare Celtic and Rangers to the other clubs in the SBFL, even the bigger ones like Hearts and Hibs, it's still night and day. It's like they're playing in completely different stratospheres. And money-wise, player-wise, structure-wise, they're completely different clubs. Um, but whether or not parking the bus and playing defensive football and not pressing and not trying to attack all that much is the best way to play against a team like Celtic is very hard to know. So, I mean, interesting to get your thoughts on this, Alan, because I guess you've probably got the most mileage of SBFL watching on this pod, not to call you old <laughs> in any sort of way. You've been, you've been watching the game longer than I've been watching it. What did I do to deserve that? <laughs> like, is there, is there, like, there's an argument to say that in the Premier League this year, there's no quote-unquote long-ball team. They're all teams that play football, and you're looking at teams like you know Fulham playing against Liverpool in the first game of the season last week, really went out and attacked them and played balls out from the back and a bit of slow build-up and pressed high and were brave in many ways and got success from that. I'm not so sure that works in the SBFL, where the disparity is so big between Celtic and a team like Ross County. I'm not sure if Ross County come out and press the hell out of Celtic. They have the structures of the players to do so that they wouldn't be carved open within 30 minutes. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, even even Fulham have got, you know, in relative terms, very good footballers that are very expensive. And are probably Fulham, keep- Fulham, Fulham will get relegated this year by finishing last and will get paid 60-odd million more than Celtic will get for winning the SPFL for doing so. Yeah, depressing, but true. (laughs) If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. <laughs> so you, it's interesting you're saying um, in terms of you know, long teams playing long balls. So actually, so far, only two games into the season. Um, so I do track this stuff as well. So Celtic have played... Uh, well, they've had they've had um, thirty eight successful long balls, according to um, Thought Mob. Uh, the highest in the league would be Dundee United at eighty. So, looking at this, actually, Dundee United are the team that attempts the the most number of long balls, um, and even even the Rangers are significantly more long ball orientated than than Celtic are. In fact, they're closer to sort of Hearts and Livingston are sort of you know uh, are, are in the same kind of ballpark. To me, most of the teams in the SPFL are long ball teams, actually. Yeah, but by the way, I would, I would reckon it um, in terms of you know, long direct passes. So that seems to be the, the norm, sadly, in terms of the way teams play. Is it the best way to play against Celtic? Well, you know, you probably, if you try and play through a, a high press and you're successful, then there's a high upside to that because of you're going to catch your opponent out, um, you know, high up the pitch, etc. But so far, not many teams have been able to able to do that. Now it will be interesting to see what happens on 
Saturday the game or Sunday against Kilmarnock? Sunday, I remember what Sunday, it was. Sunday is it? Okay, yeah. Sunday um, against Kilmarnock because it's a McInnes team, so he'll probably go man for man, and he may well try and press a lot higher than what uh, on the plastic pitch than what uh, you know Ross County with their kind of slightly odd odd they sort of sat back quite deep apart from the front three who seemed a little bit disconnected to me to the rest of the team but there's a bit of a gap there but they were pretty tight once they once once you got to their defensive uh, third and then you know Aberdeen had a kind of mid 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 block where they didn't press very much so subtleties are there already from what we've seen I think Coman would be different again I think it'll be more man on man orientated I think they'll probably gamble on on a press a little bit more uh, I've not seen them this season, so I might be completely wrong. I'm just guessing by the way that McInnes usually sets his teams up when he plays Celtic. Uh, but to come back, so c- coming back to your question, I think there's already differences um, in how teams in the SPFL set up to play against Celtic. In terms of what is the optimal, it really depends on what, what players you've got um, and what, you, what your own strengths are, really. Um, I mean, I, oh. you know, I, I, I think the, the, the one team that I'm thinking back over the last, say, six or seven years, maybe, that's come out and tried to play Celtic has probably been uh, Hibs when they were under Lennon and maybe a couple of other managers. They they actually tried to come and play, and the, and it generally led to quite high scoring, entertaining games. And Hibs actually got a bit of success, especially at home. There was a few draws, etc. And they scored a few goals at Celtic Park, but you know they also conceded quite a few on occasion. So, you know, listen, it's horses for courses. It really is. Mm. There's there's no right way. It's a it's a rock rock scissors paper, as I keep saying in many respects. It may not be a very satisfactory answer, but unless you unless no. you you've got the personnel the personnel to play a certain way, then um, you know that's really going to dictate what the most effective counter method to play Celtic is. But what Celtic will set out to do is press you relentlessly, attack you at pace, have a lot of movement off the ball, trying to have overloads in in the half spaces and in the you know the, uh, on both sides and challenge you to to counter it. And I think what we're seeing. What we've seen over 32, 33 games now is that teams are successful, can be successful to a point like Ross County were. But eventually, and I think the the five sub rule really does play into the hands of the top two, unfortunately, because it just means they've got five more relatively expensive players they can bring on to reinforce yeah. when the other other team are getting tired. Um, and that's that's a huge advantage to have over over the less well-resourced teams. So... Um, you know, you, you just keep doing plan A and then you bring on fresher legs. You can replace half your team to go again at plan A with fresher legs and, and pretty much the same standard of player. <laughs> so, you know, Celtic, I think Celtic are going to get a lot of late goals this season. And that's why I was not really worried other than for the fact I couldn't bloody see what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, it's too complicated of an issue to say parking the bus works or it doesn't work. I think it, it's like it said, works if you get a good result and you're looking yeah, you exactly. from that perspective. <laughs> from the opposition perspective, it's almost like, okay, do we write off these games against Celtic and Rangers and do we just go as hard as possible against the, the opposition that we have a chance against? And maybe that is the best way of going about it. But I'm going to use an analogy that um, a lot of the listeners may not understand, including the two of you, because it's an Irish based one. But um, in GAA, a couple of years, in, I say a couple of years ago, it was 2012. Um, Donegal, where I'm from, they had a manager called Jim McGuinness. He was actually a coach at Celtic, a lot of people might know. Um, he was a coach under Ronnie Dyla. Um, and he came up with this system of defensive GAA football. But it, the first year, it was 
purely based upon G, uh, defensive uh, stability, closing down the opposition. It was putrid to watch, horrible to watch, incredibly effective, but horrible to watch because they didn't attack. They just defended for the entirety of the game. They got to the semifinal of the major competition. The following year, 2012, they went from this defensive system to suddenly now, after defending, they spring a massive counterattack. And they were the highest scorers in the, the season. They had the highest scorers in terms of the forwards who were, they were all top of the list of the top scorers. But then after that, you see copycat systems of teams that do not have the same players as Donegal had doing bad versions of the system. And suddenly now people are blaming Donegal for inventing defensive football. But Donegal <laughs> were very effective in terms of what they did. So I think that's my ma major issue with this is that the teams that are playing against Celtic are focused so much on the defensive element that they're forgetting that they kind of have to attack at some point in this game. Otherwise, Celtic will eventually break them down and score more goals than them. So I think... There is a development in Scotland that needs to happen of these defensive systems being in place because of the disparity. They have to be in place, but they need to figure out a way of counterattacking against Celtic when you know Celtic are probably most vulnerable from the counterattacks, and maybe that is the best way to play against them. Yeah, so it's, from a purely an analytics perspective, it, it, I think of this in terms of uh, you know optimization, right? So. I think a, a good recent example of this, and it relates, kind of dovetails with your example from the GAA, and uh, is um, Barnsley and what they did in the championship a couple of years ago um, when uh, John Muller, who's a, a football journalist, uh, fellow American, uh, I think he's writing for The Athletic now. He was doing a Substack or the equivalent, I don't know, WordPress or whatever, his own newsletter at that time. And he coined the the phrase skyball because what Barnsley was doing was this very, you know, extreme version of long ball and uh, having recruited players specifically designed to try and optimize this strategy. And they went from, you know, Barnsley to being on the cusp of getting promoted into uh, the premier league. And uh, they ended up, walking back from that strategy because it was so ugly and their support were despite the relative success of the strategy uh were up in arms hating it because it was you know an eyesore to watch um and they were having issues in um selling players because people within the industry you know, again, the industry is still quite antiquated from an analytics perspective. They're moving forward, but they're still antiquated overall. Um, so the market hadn't developed, hasn't developed yet for this kind of optimization strategy, right? So th there's a question of optimizing your club, which and playing style relative to, let's say, Barnsley and the situation they were in, which is, you know, th even within the championship, this kind of budget, um, you know, the Ross County of, of that kind of league, uh, or Livingston. And then there's, do you, how do you optimize in specific games? You know, how do you game plan for this opponent optimization for this matchup? Um, and, and, you know, Europe versus domestic, all of these different things are all questions of optimization and, and how do you optimize not only tactics, but players relative to those tactics relative to the opponent. Again, all this stuff sounds pretty simple. My, my view is in watching you know, Scottish football is that there aren't a lot of teams that do it very well. They're really bad at it, actually. 
So it'll be interesting to watch what McKinnis does because, you know, uh, I think Paul Worth and Alan Power uh, and Liam Donnelly have been playing their kind of defensive midfield. So that's a slow midfield. (laughs) Right. So the idea that he's, they're going to man Mark against Celtic in a game is patently ridiculous. Doesn't mean he's not going to do it. I've seen enough over the years Mm. from him that, you know, and, and, in the grand scheme of, of the league and of the, the, the nation's leagues uh, in Scotland, you know, I think he's considered at least a decent manager. You know, he's not considered a, a completely terrible manager. And yet I watch what he does and it's like you can't even begin to put together a, a you know, a, a reasonable conversation about optimization. Um, so, you know, I, I think that I've been saying this since – last year, particularly with the style of play that Ange um, deploys, is that for most teams, bunkering makes the most sense, particularly narrow bunkering, if they don't have the coaching and the athleticism to be able to press, right? If they have the athleticism and they have the coaching to get the players to do it in a coordinated way, even if they don't have the attacking deficiency, I think trying it early, trying to get that goal early whether it's a set piece or an error or a mistake that you cause because of the pressing you know kind of go uh, balls to the wall for the first 10 15 minutes try to get that early goal then you'll bunker like that's how i would be thinking about it um if if i was in opposition uh, club going up against celtic because you you're trying to get variance in your favor um and and you got to do it in small bunches because to your point and uh, if they do it over any length of time if they open up for any length of time I think they slide the probabilities heavily towards Celtic because we're just going to rip them apart. And the disparity in, in quality is so, so significant. And I, you know, the analogy with the premier league is, is not a great one, I think, because it's orders of magnitude, right? Ross County is like one fifteenth or one twentieth of the financial resource. And you can't look at transfer spending. It's, 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 it's wages that matter. Um, you know, transfer spend is like the incremental value of speakers. I've used this analogy before, right? The, the difference in quality between a $5,000 speaker and a $500,000 speaker is like, you know, this much, uh, you know, it's very, very, very slight. Now that matters at the highest levels, but you know, the difference between Brighton and, or, or Fulham or, uh, Lester, or, you know, as you go up through the budget scale in, in the Premier League, it, the, the orders of magnitude are just dramatic relative yeah. to what's going on in Scotland. So, But there are learnings. I mean, I think what I've taken from what you've said there, James, is that like Barnsley, like Livingston, like Brighton, like Brentford, the way that you do this to counteract having a huge um, differential in, in wages and capabilities is you have a good plan or you have a plan. You have a plan. And you implement it as well and as you optimize, can. optimize, exactly. And opt- optimize, optimize recruitment for it. So that doesn't necessarily mean buying the best players. It means buying the best players within the budget for the plan and the style of play that you've got. That's what Barnsley did, and they got success doing it. Mm-hmm. That's what Livingston have done for a number of seasons. They've bought players to play in a specific way, uh, and, and, and the way that they want to play, or not they want to play, the way that they can play, uh, which is effective, it means they can attract players um, within their budget, and that makes absolutely perfect sense. And they've massively overachieved. Brighton, the same. They have a very distinct way they want to play, and that's the way they implement. So my advice to all, not that anyone's listened to me, but the, the, the advice should be, you know, as I say, have a have a plan and implement it well. 
Uh, that, it's really that simple. I, I say it's that simple. If it was that simple, lots of teams would do it, and very few do. And that well, t- yeah. tells you a lot about the industry, actually. And we've talked about this a little bit as uh, in the past. Is on the margins. I think Livingston is one of the, been one of the better clubs in doing that, meaning that they've they've to at least a reasonable degree optimized their playing style, their recruitment, and and uh, their players to the fact that they play half of their games in the macaroni, right? So that a club in their situation getting kind of locked down sustainability in the Premiership is a huge deal, and they've effectively accomplished that. Uh, they haven't really been under threat of any significance in going down. He hasn't really, you know, they haven't really been in a re- even a relegation fight uh, uh, late in the season in quite some time now. And I think that's a testament to the fact that they, you know, they, they've done a decent job. And, in, in, um, you know, I, I was joking on Twitter uh, when they, they played the first game uh, against Rangers, you know, that Celtics should be signing that new striker of theirs. And, and it's, it's a good example. Like this guy clearly, uh, I mean, he, he was on loan, I think, at like Abroth, Abroth or something last mm. season. Like, you know, and he's not like young. He's not 19 or 20, but his skill set is custom made playing in, you know, that side in that stadium. Um, and, you know, is that going to fit when he comes to Celtic Park to play or even at Ibrox? No, it's, it's going to be a completely different uh, situation. But, you know, so I, I think there's there's a lot of. And I was critical, you know, the guy just got fired, so I don't want to speak too badly of him because I don't like anyone getting fired. But, you know, Graham Alexander, I I said that last season where Motherwell would play Celtic and they'd come in playing us like they were trying to play against, you know, anybody in the league. And it's like just ridiculous, like, you know, Mm. not playing tight, not playing narrow, trying to go out and press in certain ways. And it's like, I mean, your players just are not athletic enough and good enough and coordinated enough to be able to do that. Um, and we would routinely shred his teams and rip them apart as, as a result. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's just a lack of um, flexibility in, in these optimization ideas um, amongst a lot of the clubs. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see if there are any other ones that continue to improve like Livingston have. Mm. Just a final point on this, and I think you make a good point on that, is, is that I, I do feel like there is sort of a general laziness about the style of play, not in the sense, you know, like I completely understand why they're doing it, but I'm, I'm just like, can you not think of anything else to do in the long term that would serve you better than just getting a manager who's going to park a bus? Can you not do like you guys are saying, think of a plan? Think of some way that we could get an advantage, bring in smart people to implement these plans and over the long term, develop it and see where that brings you rather than just to, it, it, it strikes me. Do you know the scene in um, uh, in Moneyball where you've got the, the directors and the scouts and everyone in the one room and they're talking about the the, the players and the players are going to bring in. And the guys who know have spent their, their careers in, in, in baseball are you know, who are you? Like, how have you, you haven't spent enough time in baseball to understand what's going on. It kind of feels like that football is sort of still, especially Scottish football is still sort of in that sphere of thinking that, okay, this is how it's always been done. This is how it's, we've got success in the past, success being not getting relegated or surviving in the league, or whereas they can't really see the overall plan of maybe we will progress further than just surviving and compete with Hibs and Hearts for the third and fourth best team in Scotland if we put a plan in place. And yeah. I, I think that's my my biggest issue with what, what is going on. 
Yeah, I mean, Scottish football is a deeply conservative environment. Most football um, environments actually are deeply conservative and very distrusting of people that aren't sort of um, been in the industry for a long time. And that's just that's just the way the way it is. It's culturally it's very narrow in that sense. Um, you know, if you remember, I, I remember when Clive Woodward uh, went to work for Southampton, and he was and he and he wasn't given a chance. And you can imagine mm. the hostility he was treated. I mean, this guy has got so much to give in terms of you know, ideas about how to sweat tiny margins to, to, to improve over all all facets of the game, whether it's psychological, physical, mental, not just that he wasn't going to go in there and tell Southampton how to play football. He was going to go in there and tell them how organisationally they could be better, how mentally they could be better, etc. And yeah. I wouldn't listen. The last thing I would do is, is start beating up on clubs like Ross County and Livingston because yeah. actually they're, they're, to me, they're incredibly well run football clubs, the ones I would be critical of are your Hearts, your Hibs, Aberdeen, who've all gone through changes of ownership recently and should be uh, have had opportunities to modernise. Uh, if you've got a budget the size of Hibs and Hearts, Aberdeen, you, if you're smart, you should be able to put a good football team on the pitch. I mean, just look at the, how some of these Scandinavian teams are playing. There are no bigger than those clubs, right? Um, you know, Bodo Glimt are not bigger than Hibs. You know, um, Michelin are not bigger than Aberdeen, right? There's no excuse why you shouldn't be able to go at Brighton. Brighton, when they were in the lower leagues, were were were, were much smaller than, than than the three clubs I've just mentioned. So mm-hmm. they're the clubs that I think that should be, you know, that I'm disappointed in that haven't innovated yet and haven't, uh, you know, improved in that regard. Yeah, I, yeah. I think well, just, a, just a final point on that. Sorry, mm-hmm. uh, James, to cut across. Uh, the owner of Barnsley, um, Paul Conway, um, he actually said last year or the year before that if he got a ch- if he was allowed to, you know, there's rules in place that he can't own two British clubs. If he was allowed to, he'd be able to break the Celtic Rangers stranglehold off the SPFL in a couple of years, which is a it's a ballsy call, but you know, there's no saying that you know Alex Ferguson did it before with Aberdeen. There's no saying that it can't be done again. Yeah, um, Alex McPherson did it, Jim McLean did it. So different days, I know, different times, et cetera. But, you know, absolutely that attitude is what's needed. Absolutely yeah, and it, it, needed. It, it, it would take, um, you know, a, a, a fulsome adoption of um, analytics, but also this this idea of optimization. And I think one of the main uh, stumbling blocks that still remains is for, again, as an outsider um that I've been able to ascertain is that there's still this culture. And again, it's not just in Scotland. I think to Alan's point, it does seem to be more of an industry wide issue is treating the players as dumb footballers. Right. And, uh, and if you look at, and again, I have a lot of experience with North American sports, obviously they are now treated as almost like academic students professional NFL football players, um, NBA players. I mean, the, these, these guys are spending significant amounts of time in the classroom uh, going over what's going on and optimization, basically. Like, how do we change our game plan? I mean, there, there are, you know, the great uh, New England Patriot teams were infamous for this, is that they would, they would come in every week with a completely new game plan for every single opposition uh, that was optimized for that specific, specific opponent. And that happened, you know, at that time, 16 games a year in regular season. And, and, you know, this was during the golden era when they were, uh, you know, in the Super Bowl so much and, and going on this huge run. 
and, and that's emblematic of, and, and even if you, you know, I've, I remember listening to um, Tierney on one of his interviews after he'd gone to Arsenal and commenting on the, the disparity in the work that he was getting uh, and having to study and, and the amount of information that was coming out of uh, the club that, you know, that they had to go over and learn. Uh, and I think that that's, you know, that's part of this issue of optimization, like to just do it abstractly. I mean, that's where you end up with man-to-man marking with, you know, Liam Donnelly and, and Alan Powers, right? Uh, it's got to be informed opti- optimization and you've got to have players that are able to make decisions and do things on the fly. Um, you know, cause so this goes back to this, these issues of, you know, how do we get Celtic to play in certain ways in different forums and, and, you know, how does, how do we optimize in Europe relative to domestically? Um, and you've got to be able to have players that can think and do things, um, with the best information. And that's where I think as an industry, it's still, you know, the expectations are still real low for players, I think, in a lot of countries and particularly lower league levels um, where they're just, you know, thought to go out and play. And and that's fine, but that's that's not where the innovation is taking things. Yeah, I mean, even I mean, during the American theme, even even the Chicago Bulls, you think, well, they, they won because they had Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, two of the greatest players to ever play the game. Well, yeah, that helped. But actually, they won because uh, the, 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 Michael Jordan didn't win a, um, uh, an NBA title till he was 30 years old. And the reason for that was because they didn't have a plan. They didn't have a plan how to use him properly. And it wasn't until they used him properly within a structure, with a, a style of play, they had the best, they had the best coach and the best um, analyst, analyst guy working out the best way to, for the players to play. And it, only when they put that in place did they start to win. Even though they had, you know, they had Michael Jordan, so you, you've got you've got to have all those components. And just because you've got the best players, you won't win if you're if you're dis- if you're not organized optimally. I think we'll park this conversation for another time because uh, we're a little bit over time here. But just to finish off, uh, one link uh, for Celtic in the transfer market this week, and it's a very interesting one. It's Alice Calado, uh, Barcelona youngster. He was uh, on loan with Granada uh, last season, and. Um, he seems to be a bit of a Jota here, Alan. Um, he's, well, so listen, if you, this isn't me being clever, right? You can go on to F, F website, FBREF, look up Alex Collado, and there's a bunch of stats bomb data that they put publicly available. There's tons of it on, on this kid. Um, so, you know, this is not me, you know, sharing the tricks of the trade here. We're going self, self-help here. Right. His, his stats are actually incredible because his... And this is uh, bear in mind. This is where this is where you have to be so careful with stats, and and, you know, and we always talk about context because he played for Granada, right? Granada got relegated. Um, he played seventeen games um, in a in a poor side where he wasn't doing a lot of attacking. Is if you look at his attacking stats, they're all in the sort of thirtieth, fortieth, um, and lower quartiles. He just looks looks terrible. And then you look at his defensive stats, and they're, they're mind blowing. <laughs> I mean, for a winger, he's in the ninety ninth, ninety five to ninety ninth percentile for tackles, for um, for in for in all parts of the field, for pressures, for blocks, for interceptions. It's just incredible. It's just like a, he looks like a. If you imagine, you know, Vinnie Jones on speed, it looks like that. It's like sort of like, well, it's never a, never a winger. So it's absolutely fascinating stats. But clearly, you have to take these and, and, and uh, contextualise them very, very carefully because um, clearly, you know, he's, 
he's he's been playing um, in a in a very poor team, and he might be being used in a, in a certain way. But yeah, certainly a fascinating looking player. I'm not going to get again. I don't tend to do this right yet, just because someone on Twitter says we're in for this player, and until the until we actually sign, I'm not getting too carried away. But I did think his his stats profile was fascinating. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, so is this a sort of a competition signing here, James, for the likes of, uh, I don't know, O'Reilly, Maeda, Jota? This kid seems to be somebody who could play in a multitude of positions, which I guess is what we're looking for. Yeah, as, as I had a dog eruption behind me here, apologies. Um, yeah, it, I, I think if... if we, we it depends if we don't sign another defensive mid right so i i guess the depth that we have in midfield i think is probably not as good as we would hope again given um the moy signing and we're not really sure about him uh i say we and i think I, I, me i i shouldn't say <laughs> me. i'm not really sure about his role uh, i mean he's been playing more of a as an eight and I, I just don't see him as a european level eight at this stage um so, you know, unless we're going to sign another six and, and move McGregor forward, we're, we're basically one injury away from those key three eights where the depth is gone, you know, mm. and, and I think that that's really the issue. And I don't know if this guy's an eight. He's played some stuff, you know, on the wing a little bit. Uh, for, and again, I haven't dug into him a lot. But um, so I, I think and the fact that he has some flexibility would be helpful if he does have a you know, the ability to play off the right or uh, play as an eight, as an attacking eight. So, I mean, obviously the, the pedigree is there. It's kind of like, uh, I think it was Mishoot, the guy from PSG. He seems to be kind of of that strata. Um, and he's still, you know, he's a little older than I would like at 23, but uh, it's still young enough. Um, so, you know, I, I th- th- it's more in the neighborhood of the kind of signing that gets me excited, um, like Mishoot would have. But, um yeah, I mean, br- bring it on. Is it, uh, that's what I say. Yeah, well, hopefully he will be uh, somebody who comes in the door and it's not Ross Barkley who's also being linked with the, with the Celtics. So uh, I can't see that happening. So we're not, we're not even going to discuss the potential of that uh, on today's show because we've already done uh, just over an hour. Uh, Kilmarnock coming up this Sunday, as we mentioned. Uh, we will discuss that in full on next week's show. But uh, before we finish up, guys, anything you just want to touch on? Uh, yeah, I think we're good. Oh, sweet. We shall uh, chat to everybody on the flip side, as they say in America. Thanks for listening and thanks for watching. And we'll chat to you next week after uh, hopefully another win against Kilmarnock this weekend to make it three from three. We'll chat to you later. Good luck.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.